Chapter Three of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Three, Beauty and the Beast. Pesach's fiddle played the accompaniment to many other people's thoughts. The respectable master tailor sat behind his glazed shirt front beating time with his foot. His little sickly-looking wife stood by his side, nodding her bewigged head joyously. To both the music brought the same recollection—a Polish market-place. Belkovich, or rather Kosminski, was the only surviving son of a widow. It was curious and suggestive of some grim law of heredity that his father's elder children had died off as rapidly as his own, and that his wife had been preserved by some such expedient as Alti's. Only in his case the rabbi consulted had advised his father to go into the woods and call his newborn son by the name of the first animal that he saw. This is why the future sweater was named Bear. To the death of his brothers and sisters, Bear owed his exemption from military service. He grew up to be a stalwart, well-set-up young baker, a loss to the Russian army. Bear went out to the marketplace one fine day, and saw Chaya in maiden ringlets. She was a slim, graceful little thing, with nothing obviously odd about the legs, and was buying onions. Her back was towards him, but in another moment she turned her head—and bears. As he caught the sparkle of her eye he felt that without her life were worse than the conscription. Without delay he made inquiries about the fair young vision and, finding its respectability unimpeachable, he sent to a shadchan to propose to her, and they became engaged, Chaya's father undertaking to give a dowry of two hundred gulden. Unfortunately he died suddenly in the attempt to amass them, and Chaya was left an orphan. The two hundred gulden were nowhere to be found. Tears rained down both Chaya's cheeks, on the one side for the loss of her father, and the other for the prospective loss of a husband. The rabbi was full of tender sympathy. He bade Bear come to the dead man's chamber. The venerable white-bearded corpse lay on the bed, swathed in shroud, phylacteries, and talus, or praying shawl. Bear, he said, thou knowest that I saved thy life. Nay, said Bear, indeed, I know that not. Indeed, of a surety, said the rabbi, thy mother hath not told thee, but all thy brothers and sisters perished, and lo, thou alone art preserved. It was I that called thee a beast." 
Bear bowed his head in grateful silence. "'Bear,' said the rabbi, "'thou didst contract to wed this dead man's daughter, and he did contract to pay over to thee two hundred gilden.' "'Truth,' replied Bear. "'Bear,' said the rabbi, "'there are no two hundred gilden.' A shadow flitted across Bear's face, but he said nothing. "'Bear,' said the rabbi, "'there are not two hundred gilden.' Bear did not move. "'Bear,' said the rabbi, "'leave thou my side, and go over to the other side of the bed, facing me.' So Bear left his side and went over to the other side of the bed, facing him. "'Bear,' said the rabbi, "'give me thy right hand.' The rabbi stretched his own right hand across the bed, but Bear kept his obstinately behind his back. "'Bear,' repeated the rabbi, in tones of more penetrating solemnity, "'give me thy right hand.' Nay, replied Bear sullenly, wherefore should I give thee my right hand? Because, said the rabbi, and his tones trembled, and it seemed to him that the dead man's face grew sterner, because I wish thee to swear across the body of Chaya's father that thou wilt marry her. Nay, that I will not said Bear. "'Wilt not?' repeated the rabbi, his lips growing white with pity. "'Nay, I will not take any oaths,' said Bear hotly. "'I love the maiden, and I will keep what I have promised, but by my father's soul I will take no oaths.' "'Bear,' said the rabbi, in a choking voice, "'give me thy hand.' Nay, not to swear by, but to grip. Long shalt thou live, and the Most High shall prepare thy seat in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. So the old man and the young clasped hands across the corpse, and the simple old rabbi perceived a smile flickering over the face of Chaya's father. Perhaps it was only a sudden glint of sunshine. The wedding day drew nigh, but lo, Chaya was again dissolved in tears. "'What ails thee?' said her brother, Naphtali. "'I cannot follow the custom of the maidens,' wept Chaya. "'Thou knowest we are blood-poor, and I have not the wherewithal to buy my bear a talus for his wedding day.' nay not even to make him a talus bag and when our father the memory of the righteous for a blessing was alive i had dreamed of making my bridegroom a beautiful velvet satchel lined with silk and i would have embroidered his initials thereon in gold and sewn him beautiful white corpse clothes 
Perchance he will rely upon me for his wedding talis, and we shall be shamed in the sight of the congregation." "'Nay, dry thine eyes, my sister,' said Naphtali. Thou knowest that my Leah presented me with a costly talis when I led her under the canopy. Wherefore do thou take my talis and lend it to bear for the wedding day, so that decency may be preserved in the sight of the congregation? The young man has a great heart, and he will understand. So Kaya, blushing prettily, lent bear Naphtali's delicate talus, and Beauty and the Beast made a rare couple under the chuppah. Chaya wore the gold medallion and the three rows of pearls which her lover had sent her the day before. And when the rabbi had finished blessing the husband and wife, Naphtali spake to the bridegroom privily, and said, Pass me my talus back. But Bear answered, Nay, nay, the talus is in my keeping, and there it shall remain. But it is my talus, protested Naphtali in an angry whisper. I only lent it to Chaya to lend it to thee. It concerns me not, Bear returned in a decisive whisper. The talus is my due, and I shall keep it. What, have I not lost enough by marrying thy sister? Did not thy father, peace be upon him, promise me two hundred gulden with her?" Naphtali retired, discomfited. But he made up his mind not to go without some compensation. He resolved that, during the progress of the wedding procession, conducting the bridegroom to the chamber of the bride, he would be the man to snatch off Bear's new hat. Let the rest of the riotous escort assay to snatch whatever other articles of the bridegroom's attire they would, the hat was the easiest to dislodge, and he, Naphtali, would straightway reimburse himself partially with that. But the instant the procession formed itself, behold, the shifty bridegroom forthwith removed his hat, and held it tightly under his arm. A storm of protestations burst forth at this daring departure from hymeneal tradition. "'Nay, nay, put it on!' arose from every mouth. But Bear closed his, and marched mutely on. "'Shagitz!' cried the rabbi. "'Put on your hat!' The attempt to enforce the religious sanction failed too. Bear had spent seven gulden upon his headgear, and could not see the joke. He plodded towards his blushing Chaya through a tempest of disapprobation. Throughout life Bear Belkovitch retained the contrariety of character that marked his matrimonial beginnings. He hated to part with money. He put off paying bills to the last moment and he would even beseech his hands to wait a day or two longer for their wages. He liked to feel that he had all that money in his possession. Yet at home he had always lent money to the officers and gentry when they ran temporarily short at cards. 
They would knock him up in the middle of the night to obtain the means of going on with the game. And in England he never refused to become surety for a loan when any of his poor friends begged the favour of him. These loans ran from three to five pounds, but whatever the amount, they were very rarely paid. The loan offices came down upon him for the money. He paid it without a murmur, shaking his head compassionately over the poor ne'er-do-wells, and perhaps not without a compensating consciousness of superior practicality. Only, if the borrower had neglected to treat him to a glass of rum to clench his signing as surety, the shake of Bear's head would become more reproachful than sympathetic, and he would mutter bitterly, Five pounds, and not even a drink for the money. The jewellery he generously lavished on his womankind was, in essence, a mere channel of investment for his savings, avoiding the risk of a banking account, and aggregating his wealth in a portable shape, in obedience to an instinct generated by centuries of insecurity. The interest on the sums thus invested was the gratification of the other Oriental instinct. For gaudiness. End of chapter 3